Well, good morning, Southview family. How are we? Excellent. Glad to have you with us here today. As everyone's starting to kind of come back in and settle in and find a place, we'll go ahead and get started. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's great to have you worshiping with us today. I'd love, if you are a guest, if you would be so kind as just to grab your phone right now and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. That just connects you with us. We can know who you are, how we can pray for you, uh, so we can minister to you in the best way possible. If you're a guest, just please do that. CONNECT to 910-424-1298. And I have just a few quick announcements I want to throw your way. Uh, as we begin worshiping together. Uh, As we go through this season, 2020 has been unique with COVID and all of the concerns that come with that. So just to let you know, things that we are doing, we're not passing the offering plates. Uh, We're not doing that right now. We have buckets as you enter and exit. You're welcome to give your offering there, or you can give online, southubc.com, or you can send your offering in to the church office during the week, whatever suits you best and easiest. Uh, but we encourage you to give. Also, we encourage just to be mindful of those around you, right? Be mindful of those. If it's if needing to wear a mask or be socially distanced or watch the doors so you're not blocking as people come in, just be mindful of things like that as we just look out for one another and encourage one another in the Lord. I think we're going to be, be able to bless one another as we walk through again this rather unique time together. But we are in the Christmas season, and I'm very, I was talking to people uh, as we came in that it does feel a little different this year in Christmas. Maybe there are some things that you're used to doing you're not able to do this year uh, because of COVID concerns. But we are so excited that we can come and gather together to worship the Lord. And we're going to keep doing that uh, through this Christmas season. Uh, first, we had our ladies brunch yesterday and it went amazing. Uh, we uh, had a huge crowd. I think over 130 ladies come and did brunch and encouraged one another in the Lord. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you for our ladies' leadership that put that together. Thank you for our guys that came in Friday and Saturday to help set up, tear down, cook, all of that. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for what you did in there. But as we go through the rest of Christmas, a couple of things. One, Christmas Eve service we're going to have. Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock, right here in the sanctuary. Come and be a part of that as we just gather together and set our hearts on the Lord Christmas Eve. Also, the Sunday after Christmas, things are going to be a little different. December 27th, we're just going to have one service, the 11 o'clock. So if you come for the 930, you're going to get a great seat for the 11, all right? One service, 11 o'clock, no kids ministry, no journey groups, just one service in here, 11 o'clock. We're going to get you in and out quick, I promise, because I know we'll have kids in the room. But we just want to come together, and we're going to start a series leading into 2021 called Bear Fruit. Because we go into a new year, and everyone wants a New Year's resolution, right? Here's what I'm going to change, what I'm going to do different, right? I, I, I gained the COVID-15 or 50 or whatever. And in 2021, I'm going to lose all that. We all have goals, but I want to talk to us leading into 2021 about bearing fruit. And that's really what God desires for us, and that His desire, His goal, His plan in your life is that you would bear fruit to glorify Him. So I'd encourage you to be here if you're in town December 27th as we start that up. Uh, Also here in this season of Christmas, we take up our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, That is an offering that Southern Baptists take up for international missions. Uh, Every dime that you give goes straight to international missions. Nothing stays in-house. Everything goes out. I encourage you to give. We have 
envelopes in the back of the pew in front of you. You can give online, however suits you best. You write a check and put Lottie Moon in the memo section. That'll go straight to that. But I want to ask, why do we do this? Why do we give to Lottie Moon? Why do we give for international missions? Right? We don't give just because there's a need. We don't give just because God tells us to, although there is a great need and God does indeed tell us to. But the whole reason we care about people around the world hearing about Jesus is because we love Jesus so much. Right? You talk about who you love. The key for you caring more about missions is not to know necessarily the greater need or not to be more convinced that God has told you to do it, but for you to, to grow deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. And the more you grow deeper in love with Jesus, the more you're going to care about what he cares about and the more you're going to care about more people knowing about him. And the way that you grow deeper in love with the Lord is first seeing his love for you. I want to read a scripture to us beginning our worship today. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, so what kind of love, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We are encouraged by the Lord to see God's great love. That word see means to behold, to stare at, to like, to, to, there's a difference between glancing at something and literally taking something in with your eyes, right? And that's the way it's describing you looking at God's love. Like so, stare so deeply into it that you take it into your soul. See how much God loves you. Do you see how much he loves you today? I want to encourage you to bow your heads just for a moment. I want to lead us in prayer as we begin worshiping together. And my prayer for us today is that 1 John 3, 1 will be real in your life. You will see what kind, what measure, what, how huge, how glorious, how amazing, how special, how powerful God's love is for you. So great, so powerful, so amazing that he sent his own son as a baby to live a sinless life, die on the cross for your sin so that you can be made God's child. Lord, I pray over us today that we would see your great love, that we would experience your great love, that we would know the depth, the power, the glory of your love for us. And as we see how great and amazing and glorious and powerful you are, we're going to be drawn to you and changed by you. And love what you love. Do this in us, Jesus, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. morning church. I want to encourage you to stand with us and let's worship. Joy to the world. Sure. 
graciousness and your righteousness and yet ever lead us and guide us move in this service today and lead us as we worship you in Christ's name.
have certain stories in the New Testament, like parable of the lost sheep, where you leave 99 to go find the one. And so God doesn't forsake that one lost sheep. You have these small micro people groups where the gospel has not flowed yet because of geography, because of distance, because of cost, because of uh, culture, because of racism. I really feel that these micro peoples are part of his heart to go after all the sheep, to go after that remnant. In the Amazon, you can go a day without seeing another living soul. It's kind of freaky. But a lot of the reason why you can't see people is because they're hidden. These are hidden peoples, small in population, widely dispersed. They have centuries of a bloody history where they've been exploited. They're animists, they believe in spirits. When you live that way, you tend to be dominated by fear. I see marginalized people, I see forgotten people, I see invisible people that are in desperate need of the gospel. The area is massive, and so to get from where I live, which is already a jungle city, I have to get into a land plane and fly to another port city, and then the next day we get in a boat, and in this slow boat we travel sometimes three days to get to where we're going. Because we're going into areas where the gospel's not, sometimes it just takes time. But recently we have noticed just God opening some doors. God has been working to send out missionaries, indigenous men and women, where there's no evangelical presence. A well-trained and called indigenous man will be much more effective. They tend to be able to get into hard-reach areas without government restrictions. You have fewer language limitations. A lot of my work is training them. So if I want to teach an indigenous man how to do storying, he has to see me do it first. And after a while of walking alongside, he's very capable at that point. One partner in particular, he wants to go work with a group that has killed outsiders that have walked in. He's like, I don't care. God sent me to go do it. And this is such a, a 180 from most indigenous culture that you have to look at him and say, God brought this change to this man. You see families coming to Christ. You do see village headmans getting permission to come in. It really confirms everything that we're out there to do, to go out and make disciples of all nations. When we have those things happen, we sit back and go, okay, this is what it's all about. They can go and they can teach others, and those people can teach others. I want to see this momentum, like a wave through the jungle, where I can say, look, I didn't see it happen. I wasn't there, but I know the gospel has reached these dark corners. When supporters of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering gives, it allows us to do things like buy an outboard motor that gets us upriver, to get equipment that we need to help us stay out there in the jungle. I've been supported by Lottie Moon. Y'all's generosity is, is a luxury that I never want to take for granted. So I want to say thank you for that. God is faithful in the hard times as he is in the good times, and our mandate doesn't change. These people groups in the jungle, you could be born, live, and die without ever hearing the name of our Savior. So someone has to go, because if we don't go, no one's gonna go. If we don't train people to go, no one's gonna go. It's worth it. This is why we care and actively give for things like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering because there are people in parts of the world that are hard to reach. And this offering, this is one of the great things about being Southern Baptist. You, if you tell people you're Southern Baptist, um, either pucker up or duck. You don't know if they're going to kiss you or punch you. But this is one of the great things about being Southern Baptist is we partner together with 
over 50,000 other churches to accomplish things that we could never do by ourselves. Like see the gospel go to the middle of the Amazon. And the fact that you're part of a Southern Baptist congregation gives you the opportunity to be a part of that. And so, as we're doing all December long, we're not only encouraging you to give, but we're taking time to pray. So I want to take this second and want to do that. And again, we're praying for two things. We're praying, one, for the people who need to be reached. We're going to pray today specifically for the small groups of what we call micro-peoples. Small groups of people in very hard-to-reach places of the Amazon that need to hear the gospel. We're going to pray for them. And then second thing, we're going to pray for us. Right, we're praying for us that God stirs in our hearts to be generous and give, that God stirs in our heart to be faithful in our prayers, and that God stirs us in our hearts to be willing to even go. Uh, the great thing is, over the last couple of weeks, um, I've already had people come up to me and say, man, God's kind of stirring in my heart about that. I don't know what to do about that. Uh, well, let's, let's keep praying. Let's keep praying and see what the Lord wants you to do with that. But, but I do want us to be faithful in our prayers, in our giving, and if God even wills our going. All right, so let's take a minute. Let's just bow our heads. I want to take a minute and I want to pray. And, and Lord, first we just do thank you for the dear, sweet souls that live in the dark recesses of places like the Amazon. Uh, places that probably no one in this room are ever going to see or go to. Uh, but people live there, and they're people who were created in your image, and people for whom Jesus Christ died, and you care a lot about that. So I pray, God, that we will care a lot about that. So I pray, Lord, specifically for the small pockets of people within the Amazon that are isolated um, because of what they believe in, in, uh, in, in their religious practices. They're afraid. They're afraid of outsiders. Uh, I pray, God, that the gospel will go. I pray, Lord, that you would... God, just allow hearts to be opened up to see and receive you, Jesus, as the Savior of their soul. I pray, God, that you would raise up believers there, indigenous people there in that area who would go and share, who would be willing to live boldly for their faith, to see you do a great and amazing work. I pray, God, that you would raise up missionaries to go, raise up men and women to give their lives to go, to see the gospel go to these very difficult places. And I pray, God, you'd be so kind as to do that here. I pray, God, for us that you would embolden us in our prayers, that we would pray fervently and faithfully for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. We would make that just a regular part of our daily prayer life. We're just praying for the unreached people. I pray, God, that you would, God, just draw us to be generous in our giving, that we would give perhaps in this offering we've never given before or that we would give like we never have before god because we just want to see your gospel proclaimed and god if you'd be so kind i pray god you would raise people up in this very room to either go short term a week 10 days two weeks or even lord to to give their lives to it to say i want to i want to spend this next chapter of my life seeing the gospel go to unreached people god i pray you would raise them up out of this room right here pray, Jesus, that you'll do this, and I trust that you will in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, real quick, before we jump into our message today, I want to introduce um, a good friend of mine, Sam. Sam Tart. He is the chairman for our uh, discipleship pastor search team, uh, and coming on behalf of that team, he has an announcement for us. So, Sam, come on up. All right, good morning. 
So on uh, September the 27th, we as the church voted to update the job description for the discipleship pastor position. Uh, and shortly thereafter, then, we posted that. We received about 50 applications. Uh, we reviewed each application uh, and narrowed that down to three individuals. Those three individuals were then sent additional documentation. And uh, based on their responses, we invited one individual in for a face-to-face -face interview. And so then with a, a unanimous decision by the search committee, based on our review and the leading of the Holy Spirit, then along with a unanimous approval by the executive committee, uh, we recommend Steve Aldi as the new discipleship pastor. Um, this would be a lateral move from Steve's current position. Uh, Steve's information will be available at the Welcome Center here in the next couple of weeks. And then on January the 10th, immediately after the 11 o'clock service, we'll plan on coming together for a business meeting to ask any questions and then to vote on the recommendation. All right, thank you. All right, so that's going to be January 10th. So Steve currently serves as our children's family pastor, and um, he uh, started helping out with our journey groups, our adult discipleship, really a couple of years ago when the need arose. He started kind of helping out there until we can fill that position. And so as we began to, to go through the process of filling that position, as Sam said, we've got resumes from literally around the world and so we looked through all of those and uh sought the lord as to what the direction would be and as we did that um uh, we just kept coming back uh to steve as the not only the most qualified candidate but the one that we unanimously really believed was just the man that god was leading us to put in that position so uh so that'll be january 10th uh right now he is sort of 90 percent kids 10 percent adults um after january 10th that'll switch He'll be 90% adult, 10% kids, um, and we will immediately, as of January 11th, begin the process of searching for a new children's minister. And um, we're going to do that um, the exact same way. We have a clearly defined process in our bylaws. We went according to that here in this process. We'll do the exact same thing for this next one. Um, but we are going to move with some purpose on this one, all right? Um, we're going to move with a little oomph and uh, see who the Lord would have us to serve as our children's minister. Uh, so that'll be January 10th. If you have any questions, you can either uh, uh, be feel free to ask any questions to me, myself or Sam uh, as the chair of that team. And we'd love to help uh, answer whatever questions you have. And that'll be January 10th, all right? All right, well, having said that, let's move again, let's transition. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, Second Peter chapter 3. So, so we're finishing up today our study of First and Second Peter, and the reason we jumped into First and Second Peter in the first place is because this two, these two books, these two letters written by Peter to uh, a group of churches, uh, the whole purpose behind this really was to... Encourage a group of Christians who were living through a very painful, difficult season. Um, the, uh, they were having political turmoil, um, economic turmoil, social turmoil. Um, uh, there were new and crazy diseases that were starting to pop up. I mean, I know none of that sounds familiar at all, right? This calls, but the Bible is so far into date to normal life today, right? We just couldn't possibly understand it in 2020. So we jumped into First and Second Peter so that we can get teaching and guidance from God's word as to how we as Christians walk through this as well. 
And so as we went through First and Second Peter for the last, now this would be 13 weeks. For 13 weeks, what we've heard over and over and over is Peter saying, yes, this world is hard, but look to Jesus, he is amazing. Yes, this world is hard, but look to Jesus, he is glorious. Yes, this world is hard, but look to Jesus, he is your victorious Savior. And, and Peter's going to wrap that up today. Peter saying, yes, I know the world is hard, but look to Jesus. And not only look to Jesus, but look to Jesus and his victorious second coming. Uh, when it comes to the second coming of Jesus, Christians typically take one of two extremes. Sometimes when it comes to the second coming of Jesus, Christians get really, really, really obsessed with it. You know this guy? I mean, he's got charts and graphs, right? He thinks Anthony Fauci's the Antichrist because he wants us to get a shot, right? I mean, everything, right? You're all in. The fact that you didn't giggle at that makes me nervous for you. But anyway. So some are just, whoa, they're really extreme. Everything's about this. And then there are some on the other side, Christians, that quite honestly don't think anything about it. It, it, The fact that Jesus is going to return doesn't enter their thoughts or affect their life or change how they live or do or anything at all. And and what I want us to see is I I think both of the extremes should be rejected. and, And there's a truth in the middle. The truth is this, Jesus is going to return. That is a massive, huge building block of the Christian faith. That Jesus, our God and Savior, physically, literally came to earth as a baby. Then physically, literally lived a sinless life. Physically, literally died on the cross for your sin. Physically, literally rose back from the grave. Physically, literally ascended up into heaven and will one day physically, literally return back to be victorious king and claim his people. That is a huge building block of the Christian faith. And what we're going to see today is Peter is ending. And not only is Peter ending this letter, Peter is ending his life. Peter's about to die. All right? His time has come. His expiration date is drawing near. And he is literally pinning... What he believes is going to be his last words to the church. And as Peter is about to have his time on earth end, he believes the most important thing he can impart to us is the fact that Jesus is coming back. And that has ramifications for you and I. And it would behoove us to let that do something in our lives. So 2 Peter Chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Here's what we're going to see. There are several truths of Jesus coming back that are going to be significant for us. Big idea number one is this. Remember. Remember. We're going to hear this over and over and over to remember the promises of Scripture and stir up others to remember them as well. Verse 1. Peter says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So there in verse 2, when it talks about the holy prophets, it's talking about the Old Testament. When it talks about the commandments of our Lord and Savior, it's talking about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the, when it talks about the Apostles, it's really talking about the, the rest of the New Testament. So it's really describing the entire Bible. And what he's trying to explain to us here, what he's wanting to encourage us to remember is, 
Peter's telling you, remember how significant God's word is. You need the scriptures. You need God's word as a Christian. He's calling you, brothers and sisters, to read, study, memorize, soak in, live out God's word. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. This world is dark, and it's only to get darker. And the only hope you have to cling to God's promises is his word. Show me someone who lives a powerful life of faith in the promises of God, and I'll guarantee you it's someone who has drank deeply from God's word. Show me someone who struggles to live by faith in the promises of God, and probably it's someone who has not done so. Specifically, he's encouraging us here to remember the promises that deal specifically with Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one who lived the sinless life for you because he knew you never could. Jesus is the one who died in your place to take away your sin because he knew that you could not do anything about that. Jesus is the one who physically rose from the grave to live out new life and to give you new life because he knew you could never change your life on your own. And Jesus is the one who's going to victoriously come back again. And so we spend the rest of our lives looking forward to the day where we get to spend all of eternity with Jesus. He's encouraging you here to remember the prophecies, the predictions, the promises pointing you to your glorious life in Jesus Christ. And not only are you to remember, but it says here that you're to stir up others. He talks about that in verse 1. It says, now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Not only are we to remember the promises of God, but like Peter, we are to stir up others as well. Why do we do that? Here's why. You and I, me included, you as well, every one of us in this room, we have a temptation to forget. We have a temptation to forget the promises of God. We have a temptation to forget the glory of God. We have a, oh, there's, a, there's a, an inclination in us to, to turn to the things of this world to satisfy us rather than turn to Christ to satisfy us. And our need is to have brothers and sisters around us who will stir each other up to remember, 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 remember. This is why the author of Hebrews said, do not neglect the gathering together. Don't forget to do this. Why? Because we stir up one another to love and good deeds. Do you stir up someone? Do you allow someone to stir you? One of the most practical ways that we do this here as a body is through what we call our journey groups or our small group ministry here. Are you a part of one? We also call them not only our journey groups but our stir groups, right? They're, they're the place you go to get stirred and to stir someone else. Are you in situations and circumstances where you can stir up someone to remember the promises of God and allow them to stir you up as well. It, without it, I mean, yeah, okay, so, uh, so we have coffee out front. So I don't know if you realize this, but we switched to smaller cups. We did that for a reason, um, because you drink all the coffee super fast. But I know what some of you have done. I know what you have done. You bring your giant gallon Yeti thing from home, Right? You just fill that sucker up. Just... 
So then we try to come behind you like, oh, man, are you kidding me right now? So you put stuff in your coffee, right? If you just put stuff in your coffee and leave it but don't stir it, does it help anything? No, it all settles to the bottom. It's still today. It's gross. You stir it, right? So that it all comes together like it's supposed to. Same thing with us. We're called to stir up one another. If you do not stir someone else or allow them to stir you, you're going to be a stale cup of coffee. Right? It's not going to come together correctly. There's a reason why you seem to struggle in the faith. Maybe look to the fact, are you allowing people to stir you and are you actively seeking to stir others? Remember, brothers and sisters, the promises of God and seek to stir up one another to remember them as well. Uh, second thing is this, look in verse 3. Here's a good one. Are you ready for this one? Remember that the world will mock you for your faith. But you have died to this world through Christ, so it does not have to affect you. I'm going to read that one more time. Remember, this world is going to mock you for your faith. I know we love the promises of God, right? Speaking of coffee, right this morning, one of you got up this morning, and you made a cup of coffee, and you got your coffee mug, it's got the promises of God on it, right? And you love that one. I've never seen a keychain with the promises of God. This world will mock you. I love it. It's just dear to my heart, right? No one does that. But this is just, a much, just as much a promise of God. This world is going to mock you for your faith. But the good news is this. Through Jesus Christ, you've died to this world, so that doesn't have to affect or change you. So look at verse 3. Knowing this first of all, right? Right out of the gate, you got to know this. We should, we should probably do this as part of our evangelism. Instead of going, uh, God wants to give you a great life, it's, listen, the world is going to mock you. You want to be on Team Jesus? Know this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. All right, so he talks about scoffing. That word scoffing means to mock, to ridicule, to make fun of, to deride, right? They're haters. So, yes or no? This world has lost its mind. Right? That's an easy pop quiz. This world has gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Up is down and down is up, right is wrong and wrong is right. It's just crazy. And somehow, I don't know if you've been following this, Christians are now the bad guys. We're the bad guys, which seems crazy because we're the group that's saying, you know, pay your taxes, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, care for the orphans, heal the sick. Like, that's our team, but somehow we're the bad guys? Like, how did that happen? Well, the end of verse 3 tells you how it happened. Because they're following their own sinful desires. Scoffing is here, and scoffing is just going to increase. Because, as Christians, we dare to believe there are things called right and wrong, righteousness and unrighteousness, and we stand on the side of righteousness. And when people are told what they do is wrong, they tend to not like that. As a general rule. And so, as people are seeking to follow after their own sinful desires, and we're standing here saying, yeah, but... But that's sin, and you, and you can't do that. Like, 
that's, that's, that's not okay, that you can't do that. Mocking, ridicule, scoffing, it's going to just get worse. I know we've been told that the incoming administration is going to heal our land, we're all going to love each other. If you believe that, I have a bridge I want to sell you. I can give you a great price. Right? I, I mean, meet me down front, I'll give you a deal. That is not a thing that's going to happen. Scoffing is just going to get worse. But, here's the great news for us as Christians. That does not have to change us. You know why? Because the fact that they scoff at us for loving Jesus doesn't change anything about Jesus. Therefore, it doesn't change anything about me in Jesus. Right? The fact that they want to mock or scoff or hate or ridicule does not change the fact of what Jesus Christ has done in me and is currently still doing in me and through me. None of that has to change. So brothers and sisters, as, as we are coming into these last days, as Jesus is going to return, as that is going to happen, I want you to know, mocking, ridicule, hatred, scorn, it will just intensify. It is going to get worse. But that doesn't have to change who we are. Because we have died to this world through Jesus Christ. And if I've died to this world, I don't, I, don't, I don't hang on what they think of me. So I get to just be who I am in Christ. And if they mock and ridicule and scorn and deride, I get to just love in return. Because that is exactly what Jesus Christ did. While literally hanging on a cross, being mocked. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. They don't know. And brothers and sisters, now that we have Christ living inside of us by faith, that gets to be our response as well. We get to live the Christ life. Being mocked, but having that not affect who we are. We get to just live out the love and power and life of Jesus. Remember, the scorning, the scoffing, the mocking, it's going to intensify. It's going to get worse. But that doesn't change who we are. We get to just live out the life of Christ. Next, in verse 5, next thing to remember is that... God is patient. Therefore, you can be patient as well and trust God in his perfect timing. God is patient. Therefore, you can be patient as well and trust God in his perfect timing. So, verse 5. For they, that's the unrighteous world, deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. And through water by the word of God. And that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So I want you to draw your attention to verse 5 and verse 8. All right, so there's, there's a word that's in verse 5 and in verse 8 that I think is significant. It's the word overlook, all right? Overlook. So it, the, to overlook means to miss something as if it was hidden, all right? So in verse 5, it says, for they, that's talking about the, the unrighteous people, for they deliberately overlook this fact. Overlook what fact? You keep on reading verses 6 and 7. It says they deliberately overlook the fact that God exists. He created everyone and everything. Therefore, he is the rightful judge. He's already judged the world once by water. And one day he's going to come and judge the world again by fire. But it says that they deliberately overlook it. They intentionally miss this. The unrighteous put fingers in their ears, hands over their eyes. They close their ears, they close their eyes, they close their mind, they close their heart. They refuse to hear about who God is and what he desires for their lives. Romans chapter 1 says they they intentionally exchange the truth of God for a lie. They know the truth. They know the truth. But they intentionally change it. C.S. Lewis once said, atheists say they don't believe in God, but the truth is God doesn't really believe in atheists. Deep down, we all know something. You know why we know atheists believe something is there? Because they're so mad about the fact that you dare believe he's existing. Right? I mean, I don't believe in pink bunnies. You know what I don't talk about? Pink bunnies. But the fact that you don't believe in God, but you won't stop talking about him, Gotcha. They deliberately seek to overlook the fact that God exists. He created them. And therefore, since he is creator, he is rightful judge. But then in verse 8, it throws out a different overlook. Verse 8 says, but you, that's the righteous Christians, do not overlook this one. In fact, so, so the unrighteous intentionally overlook the fact that God exists. Seeking to live out their own lives in their own ways. The reason they overlook God, the reason they intentionally, deliberately do that is because they want to be their own God. You know the great thing about being your own God? You and God never disagree. If you your own God, God's always cool with everything that you do. He's never there to say that's not good. They intentionally overlook so that they can be their own God. And that's just going to increase and increase and increase and increase. But we as Christians, we're told, verse 8, you, however, do not overlook this one fact. What? Verse 8 and 9 tells us that God is patient. Don't overlook this fact that God is patient. A day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. God's not slow. But he's patient. Slow uh, uh, seems to imply an inability to go faster, right? If you're slow, like I, so I run. I'm not a runner, I run. The two are very different, right? Runners, like they're into it, right? They're, they're do- I run. I'm, I'm 6'2", 225 pounds. I look like a tree lumbering down the road. I'm just trying not to pass out. I'm slow. And by slow, I mean I do not possess the ability to go any faster. Like, it cannot happen. But it says God's not slow. It's not that he can't go faster. He's patient. Totally different, right? 
patience implies, oh, no, no, no. He could go much, much faster. This thing could be done now. But he's patient. Patience implies mercy, grace, love, concern. He's being patient. Why? Because he desires none to perish, but that all would come to repentance. God is patient. He responds patiently. Therefore, we as Christians are to respond patiently as well. That means we don't shoot back. We don't retort. We don't post on uh, Facebook. We don't do those things. We respond patiently because God has been patient to us. However, what we also see is that while God is patient, verse 10, patience does not mean forever. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, you're not going to know that it's coming. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Brothers and sisters, the point is this. As we draw closer to the return of Christ, we have to remember that God is patient. However, that patience is not going to last forever. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And so now that means two things for us. Number one, for us as followers of Christ, that means this. Since we know that judgment is coming, how does that affect the way that we live? Who are we praying for to come to faith in Jesus? Who are we sharing the gospel with? How are we seeking to use our resources and see people in the middle of the Amazon come to faith in Jesus? Yes, God is patient, desiring that none would, go, would, would, would die, but all would come to repentance. But that patience does eventually run out. What are we doing in the meantime? And second, that would mean this. For those of you here today who do not know Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you. God has been abundantly patient with you, and he has been patient with you for a very particular reason, because he desires you to repent and turn to him. Do it. Right now. Do it. Right here at this moment. Right now, profess in your heart, Jesus, I know that you are God. I know that you came and you died and you rose again, that I could be forgiven and set free. Make me a Christian. Make me new. Right now, here, right now, this second, today, right here, sitting there, do it. And as you do, I want to encourage you, come tell us, let us know. We want to pray for you and encourage you and help you and disciple you. God is patient because he wants you to repent. That patience does not last forever. There is a day of judgment. See that God desires to save you and turn to him. Next thing I want us to remember, verse 11. Remember that this world is going to burn up. Therefore, the only thing that matters is your pursuit of God's kingdom. This world is going to burn up. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be, ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. This world is going to burn, and everything in it will be dissolved. This building will be nothing but kindling. It will burn. Any other building we ever put on this property, it, I mean, we do all the fire codes, but you know what? God doesn't care. It's going to burn. Everything will. The only thing that lasts into eternity is people. So, the one thing that should matter to us is people. It says there in verse 11, since we know this is true, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? The only thing that matters is who who Jesus is to you personally and how he is changing you personally and what you are seeking to do to see him change and impact and save others personally. The only thing that goes into eternity is people. What are we doing to see God glorified and people being saved? Verse 13, it keeps on going. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This world is going to burn up and God is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to have that new earth smell. I'm really excited. And it says here that it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Literally, righteousness lives there. And if you are going to live with Jesus for all eternity in righteousness, the point is you need to be practicing righteousness here. I've said it over and again, and I'll say it again today. Heaven is not a place for people who are afraid of going to hell. Heaven is a place for people who love Jesus. And those two are not always the same thing. No one wants to go to hell. That's why you're not going to find that Christmas card at Walmart, all right? No one wants that. Heaven is not a place for people who just don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you're going to love his righteousness and live in his righteousness. And then you're going to get to experience that righteousness in the new heaven and new earth for all eternity. The struggle, brothers and sisters, is that we become so addicted to this earth, so stuck on this earth, that we lose sight of the glorious new heaven and new earth we're going to have with Jesus. We become, we become absolutely obsessed with what we can get on this earth, what we can accomplish on this earth, how we can live on this earth, what can I get here. And we forget about the greater things, and that pretty much everything you amass on this earth is going to burn up and not go with you. Again, to quote C.S. Lewis one more time, Listen to how Lewis describes the way many Christians live life. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily 
I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, there is a greater kingdom that we live for. And it is not this earth. This earth is going to burn up. There's a greater, more glorious kingdom awaiting us. Look to that, especially as we draw closer to Jesus returning. And, and the last, I want you to see this. I'm going to ask our band to come up. Last thing is this. Remember to look to Christ so that you can grow in his grace and deepen your personal relationship with him. As Jesus is drawing closer to returning, the only relationship that matters really in your life is your relationship with him. That's it. Just him. Verse 15. It says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. First, I do love the fact that the Bible calls the Bible hard to understand. I just like that. That makes me feel better. Specifically, it calls out Paul. And I guarantee just about any argument you've ever gotten in a Bible study over is probably something Paul wrote, right? He's the one that talked about sovereignty and salvation, speaking in tongues, women in ministry. Paul, Paul, Paul. And Peter's like, you know that Paul guy? He gives me a headache. He really gives me a headache. And to that I go, yes, Brother Peter, I, I agree, yes and amen. But he said some people take these difficult things and they twist them to their own means. And he says don't be like them. But instead, look at verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and at the day of eternity. Amen. Verse 18 tells you to grow up in the grace of Jesus. To grow up in your knowledge, your personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. He is coming back. We're at Christmas. When Jesus first came, he came as a, as a sweet little baby in a manger. And he returns, he's coming back as a victorious warrior king riding a horse. Jesus is coming back. Therefore, there are things about our lives that need to be different. Specifically, I want to encourage you, as he was returning, the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with him. How is that? How is that? Are you seeking to grow in intimacy, love, relationship, communion with him? During this Christmas season, we realize the truth that a, a baby changes everything, right? You learn that when you become a parent, and then you also, more importantly, learn that as you see Jesus Christ, this baby coming into the world, changing everything. This baby has made it possible for you to have new life. Turn to Jesus Christ. Trust him as your Savior and Lord. Let him make you new. Our band is going to sing, and, and we're not going to ask you to stand and sing with them. We want you instead just to take some time to reflect. You can come up front and pray. You can pray right where you are. If you need someone to pray with you, my wife and I will be up front. We'd be more than happy to do that. Or you can grab someone else here in the room. They'd be more than happy to pray with you. But let's take some time this morning as we finish out today just celebrating Jesus Christ and setting our hearts on who he is as our great, glorious, amazing God and Savior.
Amen. Jesus, we thank you that you really do change everything. I ask you, Lord God, that you would just allow us to see how you change us and make us new for your glory. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.
victory and defeat. I've had problems, biggest planets turn to pebbles when you speak. I've had nothing to my name, never.